Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Friday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We've got John Paul and Sadie taking your calls at 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us, we would love to hear from you. You can text our WhatsApp 0862-103-103. We will be heading to uh, Rochestown in a couple of minutes to celebrate the fact that they sold the winning lotto ticket that we were talking about this time yesterday. Almost 11 million euro. It is uh, it really is a life changing sum of money. We'll be catching up with the owner of the shop that sold that winning ticket and today is also a very exciting day as well for restaurants and hotels and gastropubs uh, that are now from today with living with COVID restrictions they are now able to reopen and it seems like it's either a famine or a feast because it's been reported that restaurants and hotels are struggling to cope with an avalanche of bookings ahead of what some are saying will be the busiest weekend of the year for them. Something like 50 million euro will be spent on hospitality over the next three days if people are looking to make the most of the COVID-19 restrictions being loosened for the hospitality sector here in Cork alone, according to the Irish Independent, €10 million Euro will be splurged as a survey on some of the city restaurants reveal little or no availability either in the restaurants or in the gastropubs. And also data from a real-time online booking outlet is showing that many of Dublin's most popular venues are fully booked. There's just a limited amount of outdoor seating available at some venues. But if you look at the weather forecast for this weekend, I don't know how many people are going to feel very comfortable sitting outside having a nice a festive meal. Business owners in the hospitality as sector who've been desperate to open after what's been a very turbulent year for them are now anticipating a profitable uh, few days. One Cork restaurant, Luigi Malone's, revealed it had every available booking for Saturday dining until New Year snapped up within three hours 
of their booking system going live. That's just incredible. And Cork members of the Irish Hotels Federation Restaurants Association and Cork Business Association say December 4th, which is today and December 5th, could emerge as among the most important trading periods of the entire year. And there was a survey done. No, it was just 10 Cork uh, restaurants and it revealed they haven't got any availability for any Saturday night, uh, either this Saturday are next Saturday they are uh, fully booked and if you are heading out and you have managed to get a table across this weekend or indeed across next week HSE falls to Ireland issuing all of the guidelines and saying it is okay to eat out but it's important obviously that we all play our part in keeping everybody safe all of the staff no matter where you go this weekend will be fully trained in COVID-19 prevention measures the environments that when you go into them they'll be safe they'll be hygienic hand sanitizers will be provided throughout all of the pre- premises and all of the staff will wear face masks at all times while working indoors and I think that's a slight change because I think when the restaurants first opened it seemed to be optional whether the staff would be wearing wearing the face masks or not it depended on where in the premises the staff were but the new guidelines are now are all staff when working indoors will be wearing face uh, masks and then if you're going along yourself you can have no more than six people at your table and they are making sure that nobody no group tries to block book say six tables and have six people and so the 36 people say try and form a work party if we all book the same restaurant together they're doing everything to try to avoid that when you go to a restaurant you'll be told to sanitise your hands when entering and leaving the building always wear your face mask when you're inside in in the restaurant and that also includes when moving around so if you're sitting down at your table you obviously take your mask off when you're sitting down at your table and you're having your glass of wine and you're enjoying your meal but if you get up to go to the bathroom while you're at the restaurant or the gastropub you're going to be told to put your face mask on uh, please and as was the case before one person from each table must provide details and that's for the uh, contact uh, tracing and bitter sweet is how Michael O'Donovan, chairman of the Vintners Federation of Ireland, has described the decision to restrict the reopening of pubs. Uh, And of course, the only ones that are allowed to open are pubs that can cook food on their premises. And he said that that is extremely disappointing. He said during the summer, a lot of pubs teamed up with, say, a local takeaway or a local business. And then both the businesses prospered uh, because the business supplying the food obviously they were making money and then the pub itself was able to sell drinks so they were making money that's not going to be allowed this time round Michael Donovan said disappointing that we're back to the scenario where a 9 euro substantial meal is the only difference between a pub opening and a pub staying uh, closed and for Michael O'Donovan himself on a personal note and Michael we've spoken with throughout the pandemic uh, and he's joined us to speak about how local publicans were were faring out and he of course he runs his own and owns his own pub the Castle Inn in the uh, city which is a family pub it's been in the family business since the mid 1930s and would you believe for the O'Donovan family this will be the first Christmas that the bar is closed. Now he did go on to say he's delighted for the for his the colleagues that are able to open today, and that's why he said it is bittersweet. But he said I am delighted that uh, some of my colleagues can open today. But there's in the city there is fifty five percent of members of the 
Vintners Federation in the city who won't be a reopening. I don't know what the stat is for pubs not opening in the county, but I imagine there's a lot of them not able to reopen today, particularly any of the rural ones, because they don't have a kitchen, they don't have a chef, and they're not able to supply food. 1850, so it is a little bit bittersweet. 1850-333-103, John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. We know a lotto ticket worth 10.7 million euro, which we're told is the game. Game's 20th biggest ever prize and the largest lotto prize for 2020 was sold here in Cork. We were speculating yesterday as to where the ticket could have been sold. We have since found out that the winning ticket was sold at the Spar store in Mount Oval in Rochestown and the store owner is Shane Cantlin who joins me. Good morning to you Shane. Hey Patricia, happy Christmas, how are you? Well, and many happy returns and huge, huge congratulations uh, to you and the rest of the gang uh, in Mount Oval. How did you find out you'd sold the winning ticket? Well, I suppose um, I got a call yesterday evening about half five from uh, one of the guys in the National Lottery and I saw his name from my phone and I said, I said, geez, I said, he wouldn't be ringing me now for what I think he's ringing for because I knew the ticket was still outstanding unclaimed and of course then he said Shane I have the news that we've always been waiting for over 25 years in business and we've never got a call like this so it's, it's unreal to think someone near Sparmont Oval is, is 10.8 million richer so it's just absolutely brilliant you know and yesterday when there was so much buzz when we all we knew from National Lottery was it had been sold somewhere in Cork did you did it go through your mind we could have sold that ticket well not really because you know we, we've been here before where there's been big tickets in Cork and stuff like that and like and there's so many you know you know I suppose convenience stores in Ireland and people with a lot of machines that you know you know it'd be very very slim chance that you'd, you'd sell the winner so so I suppose no is the answer but you'd always be hoping yeah. as a retailer and I suppose for the staff and the team members after the year they've done 2020 it's just it's just brilliant now to with the buzz and excitement that's here this morning, the stores is absolutely fantastic. You know? Absolutely. And what's been your biggest win before with Lotto? To be honest, it's just been a scratch card, like is you it? know, like you know, like a two thousand or five thousand scratch card, which is which is brilliant as well. But we've never ever in twenty five years in business had an Irish Lotto or Euromins Lotto win ever. Wow! And then to then to grab. The biggest, the largest ever, well, the largest for 2020. Yeah, I just heard you there in the intro. So it, it, it is the largest win for the Irish Lotto for this year. And also in the year that's in it, 2020, it's the 20th biggest win yeah. ever in the Lotto <laughs> history. And to top it all off, then, Patricia, which is totally, you know, mad stuff altogether, is tonight, then, the Euro Millions is 200 million in the year 2020. So, you know, <laughs> and anyone who's listening, come on in and buy a lot Get of out quick you know? and, and, buy, and buy a ticket. What's the atmosphere been like in the store uh, I know today? It's fantastic. Like, you know, we're giving out free crunchies all morning to our customers, just as a kind of a 10 crunchies Friday, just to create a bit of a buzz and give something back, make them feel part of it. And look, the, the speculation I was starting, you know, who's one is, you know, twitchy curtains with their neighbours and all that stuff. So it's, it's brilliant, like. And, and I uh, take it everyone coming in has been asked, are they? Is it you? Oh, sure, is it you? Asked, and sure, they're asking us to check the cameras and everything. But sure, we don't know what time it was sold. The only thing we do know for a fact is it's Wednesday night's lotto. It was a quick pick. And, um, and it was done sometime last week. And that's all we know. Oh, because yesterday we were led to believe that it was Sunday, the ticket. But you, you, they, they don't give you no, that well, much it, detail. It, that could be the case, Trisha. Well, we, we haven't got that information now yet, to be honest. Um, 
like if it was part to Sunday, that's news to me. Like, but we haven't been told that yet. And do you know, was it a single quick pick? We don't know that yet. But no. the national lottery arriving later today with the check with with a kind of a press call and stuff for the pictures to the papers tomorrow and stuff. So. I, hopefully we get some information when the lottery people arrive to the store, you know. And will the lottery HQ tell you when the person comes forward? What will happen next now is, obviously, today is all about trying to find out, you know, check your jeans before you put into the wash and, you know, you know where you're in the store in the area. And I suppose telling people the ticket was sold in Sparmont Oval. It was for the Irish Lottery for Wednesday. And they're going to encourage, you know, both on radio stations and news and all media and all press to, for the person to come forward. And then, you know, hopefully the person will come forward and then they have a decision to make, you know, do they do they go public or, or do they keep it to themselves? And that's the next decision they have to make. But right now, nobody has come forward as of today. OK, so it is important that anyone that has been in your store in the last week who bought a ticket for the midweek lotto draw, it's Correct. important that, that you check yeah, your tickets. Yeah, you got it exactly right there now. And of course, that, the big fanfare, if the person did decide to go public, there's no going to lotto headquarters to pick up a cheque because of COVID. No, sure, I suppose with COVID and the, the year that's in it, it'll just be done quite differently. And, they, you know, I'm sure everyone will be two metres apart in the photo and stuff like that if they did go public. And uh, But, you know, will, will that be, you know... But look, it's up to the individual. Like, I just hope it's a local family in the area. And, you know, I wish them all the best. And I just delight it's one of our customers. Yeah. And, of course, it could also be a syndicate, even though I don't know, are there as many people doing lotto syndicates? Because you don't have people in the... In, uh, there's still, there's is still there? going on, even though, even though people are working from home. Like, you know, they're, you know, like, you know, there's different ways of transferring money now and all this kind of stuff, with revolution all this and... You know, so people are still doing their, How are they? That's good their quick fix in advance for the next four weeks, you know. But th- th- those people that are in the syndicate mostly pick out their own numbers. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like quick someone do the quick fix. Like, yeah, you know, that's but true. A lot of people have these lucky numbers then in the syndicate. That's true. So, yeah, that's true. So, and whenever you hear a quick pick, you're straight away thinking this is an individual uh, person. And as you say... Yeah, m- more than likely, what we see with the quick fix customers here in Mount Oval and in other stores as well is... Um, you know, people are doing their messages, buying their shopping, then they say, oh, I'll take a quick pick with my messages. And that is, it's like an add-on, you know, as, you know, you know, when they get to the counter and stuff like, you know. And that's why it's important to check your tickets. Is it in the back pocket of your jeans? Exactly. Did exactly. you throw it into the handbag that you were doing your shopping with? It is important. And the numbers, it's 9, 12, 22, 28, 35 and 47. The bonus was 37, but the, 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 the bonus part, the bonus said uh, they don't need. What do you get for selling the winning ticket chain? I'm not sure the amount, but you do get a twist out of it. Not as big as what people think, but it's our full intention to, um, you know, when, when COVID times are over and stuff, to have a big party for all the staff and, you know, and a good few spot prizes. It's not our intention to keep the twist. And I suppose we're going to share it with all, all yeah, the really? staff. And is, it, is, like, is it true that was always your intention? You always promised the staff that if we no, ever... No, I always said it. Well I done. always said it because, like, we've never won it. And I said, look, if we ever got to win and we ever got to share, I said, you know what, we will do. We have a big celebratory you know, moment, you know, to because you know they're the, they're the people on the front line. They're our team, you know. And look, I can't be thankful enough to all our staff and all the stores. And I, so look, as I'm on to one or three, I'll just say shout out to our sister store, Maxwell and Clonakilty, because I know we have a good few listeners down there in West Cork. So it's just hello to all our customers down there, which is great, you know. Okay, you're a decent guy. You're you're a decent guy. That's a nice thing to do. As to when you can have the celebration, so that's going to be oh, well into twenty. But you can still do it. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, you will. You 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 will be you will be able to do it. It has been a tough year, Shane, hasn't it? I mean, and you're you're one of the essential services. I mean, you 
kept going throughout. Yeah, no, we kept going throughout. And look, it's a, a full team effort, both from our staff and both from our customers. And everyone has been very good listening to the Enfield rules. And look, you know, I, but I think, you know, back to today, Patricia, today is about positivity. It's 10.8 million euros. Someone's very lucky coming up to Christmas. Three weeks to go. It's just a wow amount of money. It's life-changing. And look, look, I just want to wish that family, whoever it is, all the best. And I suppose thank you and all your listeners and all our customers. You know, it, it, it's just brilliant buzz news now coming up to Christmas. Uh, it's, you know? a great, it's a feel-good factor that we really, really need. Uh, Jerry and Douglas, how long are you giving the free crunchies away for? He won't be able to get down until later. <laughs> <laughs> Tell Jerry you get a taxi. Come on up. You know? <laughs> All right, listen. I'll let you get back to the celebrations right, and and care. and to a bit of work as well. But listen, thanks a million. It's it's fantastic. God bless. Bye 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 bye. Shane Cantlin there, who is the owner of the store, the Spa Store Mount Oval in Rochestown. Did you buy a quick pick ticket there this week? You need to check your tickets, please, and you could be sitting on the biggest lotto win for 2020, just under eleven. 11 million euro if it is you congratulations and we hope as we said it yesterday I hope it brings you nothing but lots and lots of luck 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103 D103 now, a proposal to build almost 250 apartments at the former mother and baby home at Besborough is causing concerns because some fear it may be the site of a mass burial ground similar to what was discovered at the Tomb baby home. Inspirational ca- campaigner Catherine Cordes joins me with her views. Good morning to you, Catherine. Good morning. How are you? Uh, I'm very well and you're very welcome to the programme. We know from records that at least 900 babies died in Besborough. But do we know where all or any of them are buried? Well, no. Uh, uh, from from uh, I gather from the uh, Commission of Inquiry uh, interim report that uh, they have looked into this and they have come up with uh, so many more names, maybe a thousand more names than what the sisters uh, claimed were there. I think they gave a number of two hundred and something that had died and were buried. But yes, uh, from the from the from the registration office, there are the names of all the children who died there and their their ages, and uh, that that is public knowledge now. And uh, they, I, I feel they have to answer uh, where are all those other babies buried. And uh, that is something that must be looked into. And at the time, Catherine, when many of these little babies died, what was the common practice for burying them? Well, you you would imagine, I, I can only speak for Tume and what I found and what I researched. Uh, a, a lot of the little babies were buried in, in uh, white boxes painted white, but the, the, the vast majority are in, under, in an underground uh, sewage tank. Now, um, what, what's to say that uh, Bessborough is not a carbon copy of Tume? Because we know there are uh, underground tanks there on the grounds. And uh, I think uh, those should be sought out from old maps and they should be checked out, uh, first of all. And if not, uh, why not do a ground surveying uh, project on the whole of the grounds? That that wouldn't be impossible. They could do sections here, there and everywhere. For what I believe, they've only done the area where we know there are, are, is a burial ground from a very old map that uh, people have uh, checked out. And they know that's there. And um, I know the development is going on quite near that plot. And I just wonder, is there enough 
uh, excavation, test excavations done in that area. A lot more de- needs to be done before the building goes up. And uh, it's terrible that uh, the, the, the county council there and the developers, they, they show no respect for those babies who had died in those homes. That's what I found in Chum. There's absolutely no respect whatsoever and no thought of the grieving families who have lost babies and the importance of finding the remains of a baby and and having a place to visit. They don't seem to realise that and they don't seem to care and that is just heartbreaking. Yeah, and they were shown such little respect at the time of their death and now to and, think And in that, their lives, yes. Yeah. And was it was it was it a cost saving issue not to have a proper little burial for these for these little ones? Well, look, at, uh, from what I have looked into, uh, as regards to them, there was an abundance of grants and money per head, per mother, per child to look after. And there were grants. Uh, I can only speak for Chum County Galway and the Galway County Council. There was a five uh, pound grant at the time to bury these children. And whether they decided it was a waste of money and just to discard them when they were gone, that they weren't worth it. And that seems to be the consensus from what I have researched. There was just no care. They were just abandoned and they were just discarded. God, it's dreadful. It's dreadful. dreadful. And of course, we have to remember Besborough is a, it's a 200 acre site. It's, it's, yes. it's a big, it's, it's a big site. I it mean, you, would you, would you, in the ideal world, you'd fully evacuate, uh, excavate it, but that's not going to be possible. Well, test, test excavations. I mean, uh, from what I gather, they've only done test excavation, test excavations uh, where the old graveyard is there that's on the old maps in that area. Uh, surely it's goodness. As uh, First of all, uh, I, I, I would uh, check out, like I did for Chum, check out wherever there are underground, any sort of a chamber, any sort of a tank, okay. because uh, that's what they did in Chum. And, and I know there is a, there's a, uh, I, I walked that grounds there over a year ago uh, with uh, Donald O'Keefe and uh, a few others. And uh, as well, there, there, there's. Um, I was. I did meet a man called Pat, who did use used to work in the Bessborough home, and he has a story just like Joe, where two boys came across the, uh, the this tank, and he claims that when he was a child, along with his friends, crossed over through Bessborough grounds, and they saw men looking down into a tank, and there was a, a nun with them. And uh, when they were running by, he, he saw what he claims. He was only a young lad at the time, but in his little mind, he saw green dolls. Now, that is enough to, to source out that area, to check it out, and just to see what is down there. What did that little boy see yeah. at the time? And because he, and that, he that, couldn't... That's how, Chum, he, yeah. that's how Chum was discovered, because yeah, it was, I heard of the two boys. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it, it's not something that you can uh, that you would make up. You know, you, not it's at not... all. He was, he was absolutely terrified, and that's... That's in the, in the in the mind of a little boy, age eight or nine. They would look green, like green dolls. They would be bones, probably just discoloured. And surely to goodness, that area, uh, it's worth checking out just to see for a start and to get them in. And uh, let us not forget, these are somebody's babies, beautiful little babies and children. Uh, who's, who's, uh, it, it's a heartbreak for the families to think that they would be discarded like that. And if if... If I would ask anyone who ever worked in Vespera to uh, to clear their conscience, somebody must know what went on there. And surely to God, before they meet their maker, they all these people, they're protecting the institutions, but surely to goodness they believe in a loving God, and that's what they claim. And surely to goodness they have to answer for themselves at that stage, because that is the belief of the Catholic faith, that they meet their God and they answer questions. And if they, if they just think about that, surely to goodness they should just say, give information of what they know, even to say, I believe, 
uh, this part of Bessborough, maybe, maybe this baby spirit here, even just to let to let anyone know, to let just the family po- yeah, know. point people yeah. in in the right direction. In the and, right direction. Sure and you're right. There that. there will be and there are former workers and and former of course there is. and former residents, um, Catherine, Absolutely. women who would have yes. been in Besper at some stage who are yes. living locally, and as you say, will yes. have the information. Absolutely, they have. And and uh, it's, I don't know. Is, is this thing still? Is it pride? Is it is it guilt? Is it shame? Uh, just to come forward, uh, as as in any case, just to come forward, give the information if they don't want to identify themselves. That's all. Anyone is looking for information where they believe there there, will, there is a mass grave or underground tanks, and surely to goodness they, they will they will. It, it is the right and proper thing to do. And I know that the sisters are well aware of absolutely more than they told the Commission of Inquiry, because I'm not suggesting that it was suggested by Minister Zappone in the 15-term report. If you go back over it again, they said that the sisters, surely to goodness, they must know they were there when these burials took place. Just give information anonymously. Just tell us where those babies are buried for the sake of the families who are grieving. And then allow those children to be given a, a, a proper, a proper Christian uh, burial. And know, how hurtful, Catherine, is it for the survivors to think that a development could suddenly happen on what might be a burial site? I know it's it, it's hard to comprehend it. It just is. It just they just seem to blank this out of their minds. They just go ahead with the development. They blame somebody else. This has nothing to do with us. We were told to come in here and build. And I think that's that's the way it's done. They just blot it out. But it's atrocious and it's wrong. And I hope that Cork County Council will come on board and have a second thought for the families who are grieving and how important it is for to have a place to visit your child. Uh, as, as a survivor in Chum. Uh, it's stated quite clearly when we when we were fighting for the excavation and the exhumation of the tomb babies. He said, "How can I come and oh, and stand over a sewage tank and grieve for my little sister who is in there?" Oh. It, it's a healing. It's a healing that has to be done, and that's the only way to do it to bring out the truth. And your thoughts uh, today, Catherine, on the news that we got yesterday that the report into the Commission of Investigation into Mother and Baby Homes will be published in January. What are your yes. thoughts on that? Well, it's, we're waiting long enough for it, and I, I think it's, it's almost better. It was to come out this week, I presume, and uh, next week, because uh, that's what the reports were. But, I mean, coming into Christmas and people, their, their minds full of family and everything and coming out of COVID, I think January, when all is over, I think it's a better time for people just to contemplate and to think and just to just to accept what happened. And uh, I think it's it's good that it was left until January. And I think we can be assured that this is it. Now, this will come out. And it is supposed to be the full truth. And I do have full faith in Jujivon Murphy. And I've been told she's a, a demon for the truth, to put it that way. Right. So we're hoping that uh, a lot of a lot of information will be revealed. And, I, I'm, and I, I'm quite sure it will be upsetting and disturbing but it is a healing because that's all anyone is looking for is the truth to come out of this. Will survivors get an advanced copy? Well we're asking for it, we're hoping I think they may get it online they're looking for a hard copy but I think uh, I believe they should get get have it first besides because uh, the media will come on board and they will ask them questions that they don't even know the answers for or they don't know what's in the report so I think it would be very it would be feasible for for them to see it first and, to, and just to have time to digest it. They, I mean, it's 3,000 pages. They'd want a few days, really, mm. you know, to, to pick a few, whatever whatever uh, appeals to them or whatever is relevant to them. Do you think as a nation we're going to be shocked by its contents? 
Well, there's a lot of suggestions coming out in the last months. I thought in 2017 when uh, it was discovered that the tomb babies were, uh, it was the tomb babies that were in that sewage tank. I, there was horror, there was absolute uh, uh, repulsion from the government and from everyone. But, but that died down very quickly and uh, it is almost, I had to fight again to keep this going, to get this legislation to exhume the babies. I mean, the authorities are very quick just to put things behind them and, and to, to think that, oh, there's a big story in the media and that'll go away. But uh, these, uh, this won't go away until it's absolutely solved and on, on, until there is healing. OK, and listen, what's now, what happened to the, the babies was that were found in the septic tank? They only took, uh, what, what they did was they went in and excavated and uh, they dug up the whole the whole area. They had, it was all cordoned off and uh, then uh, they brought samples. The coroner came in and the state pathologist came in. Now, we, the survivors and myself were very disappointed that there was no report on that. There was nothing said at the time back in 2016, I think it was. Yes, it was. And uh, uh, what they did was they took a few samples of the babies, first of all, to see what did were the famine victims as as was proposed by the county council and by all the authorities when they were trying to cover it up that, that they were was, famine victims that's it that was the that was the suggestion and that's what I had to fight because it is it, it, it was a workhouse and that's okay. was famine ground and they did find a few uh, adult uh, famine victims way over the other side of that seven acres and so uh, it, they conveniently said that all oh, these are famine victims you know but I was able to prove from old maps that no this was a working sewage tank at the time of the famine and at the time of the workhouse and there is no way there could have been burials there. So that really brought, the, you know, they brought the story to the fore at the time. And uh, they took a few samples of the little bones that they found in the chambers and it was stated in March in 2017, it was announced by Minister Catherine Zappone that yes, these babies were, were, were belonged to the era of the tomb when, when the tomb home is in existence and they were able to carbon date the bones and they belong to the present era. Okay. So uh, that proved and these were the And then what babies. happened to the babies? They're still there, absolutely. Uh, uh, to to my astonishment, uh, once, the, once that was established, I thought in 2017 they'd be back again to take out all the bones and to do the right thing. But they didn't. What they did was they, they closed up the whole place again, put back the clay that was taken away, put back, sowed the grass seeds, sowed flowers back over it again. And I was speaking to the Commission of Inquiry at the time and I was absolutely horrified because uh, I said, you're not going to do anything. And uh, this was after all the big hoo-ha from the government and horror and everything that they expressed. But what, what they, they assured me that that was the agreement with Galway County Council, that they had to put the site exactly as they had found it after they had done the testing. So uh, uh, for three three years hence, the, the site is back, the grass is there, and it's just as it was, even though we know from the fifth interim report exactly where the babies are underneath that green sod. And, uh, they, so they're, they're, they're still in the tank? Back. They're still in the tank? Not filling in the tank, no. What they did was, they, put, uh, the, they did bring in big massive sheets of uh, steel and a sort of a membrane underneath it to protect the remains that were there. That's three years ago, and I mean, uh, the survivors want DNA samples from these little bones, and I mean, as years go by, they're deteriorating all that more. So it's that's that's what that's the government we have, that's the county council we have, that's the church we have, and that's the bond support sisters that we have. Do you, do you think the report when the report comes out that that might be an impetus to do something and to well, give these babies a Christian burial? 
it's on the cards because uh, myself and the survivors we've been um, we've been asking and asking the government. Uh, but as you know, because the government fell apart this year, uh, this should have got underway. We are uh, pressing on Minister uh, Roger, uh, sorry, sorry, Roderick O'Gorman to pass this legislation. There has to be legislation passed before there's a mass exhumation, because the thing is, this was never, never this, they never had to deal with this in Ireland before. So they came up with this idea: we need a bill, we need to pass legislation before we can exhume a mass area. So we are waiting on that, and the Minister uh, O'Gorman assures me that this is happening at the moment, that uh, it's, it's pre-legislation they're working on. It will go to the route, to the Oireachtas soon, and then the, the bill will be passed, and then they have to put a team together to overlook the excavation and exhumation and DNA testing of the tomb babies okay. and the reburial. I think a lot of people would be shocked to, to think that that's still going on, that it hasn't Absolutely. been, hasn't it's been ter- sorted. Somebody, wa- I mean, somebody wants yeah. to know, was it a burial chamber or was it actually a septic tank? It was an actual septic tank. It was a septic tank. I, I, have, the, I have the absolute proof of that. Okay. And the fifth interim report, uh, report reveals that as well, that there are 17 chambers which belong to a tank. It's a sewage tank because from the archaeologist's report, there is uh, traces of excrement on the walls of that tank. Yeah. There are there are shutters at the base of it, which which shutters are for a septic a sewage tank, as you will know, uh, underneath the little babies. Yeah, so okay. It's a sewage tank and and John, John reckons um, is completely against planning permission having been granted at Besborough. He reckons that it should be turned into some kind of a park. And Mary says, Patricia, yes. can I take the opportunity to thank Catherine Corliss for all of her research and hard work and for giving those little angels a voice and an identity may her goodness be rewarded wishing her and her family a happy and well, a peaceful well, thank Christmas thank you very much that's, that's okay. a beautiful compliment well thank listen you. we uh, we we thank you as always it's always a pleasure to have you on the programme uh, Catherine and I will add to what Mary said let's, I hope you do have a happy yes. and a peaceful Christmas and, well thank you and I do I- oh the line just suddenly went dead as we were wrapping it up. That is the wonderful historian and uh, campaigner from Tum, Catherine Corliss. This is Court Today. Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Court's greatest hits. C103. If you want to keep it festive and you're around Mallow Town tomorrow. I've just had a WhatsApp in from Johnny Bongos to say that Owen and Johnny will be playing Christmas tunes and a bit of music uh, around town tomorrow, starting at two o'clock. Various places around Mallow, they're trying to just uh, generate a little bit of a buzz around the town for Christmas while people are out shopping in a safe and, of course, social distancing and all of that. So if you're in Mallow town tomorrow, keep a look out for Owen and Johnny playing some music on the streets. Well done, uh, lads. And thank you to people still getting cards and letters in. And congratulations me on my 30 years of uh, broadcasting and I really do appreciate them so thank you um, Happy Christmas to Matty and Mary O'Brien in Kilbeheny hope the gang in Kilbeheny are all keeping well and a lovely handwritten letter from Mary Byrne uh, in Rahili Road in Formoy thank you Mary very kind kind words in your letter this morning I really appreciate it now some emails and some messages that came into us yesterday that I didn't get a chance to get around to we had a huge reaction yesterday to Joanne who contacted us looking for advice from listeners who has her adult son a young professional as we described him and Joanne not her real name lives with her at home and 
harmonious life everything's fine everything's going well and she's a daughter then who is in the United Kingdom and wants to come home for Christmas her daughter was due to go to Australia for Christmas but obviously that's been cancelled so now she has two weeks holidays over Christmas and decided she'd come home instead and Joanne was looking forward to it she hasn't seen her daughter all year normally there'd be trips over and back between Joanne and the daughter not possible this year because of Covid restrictions so the daughter has decided to come home for the two weeks willing to get Covid tested before she arrives and would also get COVID tested five days after she arrived and by having of course a negative result five days after she arrives then she wouldn't have to limit her movements but it's Joanne's son who lives with her is fuming about his thinks his sister is being selfish and has said to Joanne he will move out if the daughter comes home for Christmas not just for Christmas he'll move out permanently and it's kind of putting Joanne in the middle of siblings who are having this row and this argument but as somebody pointed out are they actually speaking to each other or has everything been done through poor old Joanne and you know our hearts went out to Joanne yesterday and there was a pretty even divide between people saying stand up to the son which is what the daughter in England is saying Joanne needs to do and allow the daughter to come home for Christmas and equally we got calls comments and texts in from people saying no the son is right the son is the daughter should stay in England there's a lot of COVID-19 in England and she does work in a healthcare setting as well even though she would be doing the right thing with getting the testing and all of that but there's a fear factor that she could bring COVID-19 with her and for one year she should stay in the United Kingdom and not come home. So it was pretty much divided uh, down the middle. Well, I've had an, another um, email. I don't know if this is an email or a text that came in to say, uh, Patricia, read the daughter coming home for Christmas. So I heard you read out that letter from the mother. While I appreciate that she would absolutely love to see her daughter, I fully agree with her son's stance on this. He obviously loves his mother so much that he's only trying to protect her from getting the virus. Travel advisory states, no travel in or out of the state except for essential travel. Coming home for Christmas cannot be deemed essential travel. It sounds like he's more than good to his mother. He's here with her all of the time. The daughter at the end of the day chose to live and work and live in another country. She can come and go when travel is allowed. She's only coming home now because she can't go to Australia. Coming home to see her mother for Christmas wasn't a priority for her when she booked those tickets to go to Australia, was it? Uh, Why should it be now? It's the daughter who's being the bully here, I'm afraid. The son is only looking out for his mother out of love for her. He hasn't actually stopped the sister from coming. He's just abiding by the guidelines to protect his mother. There are mums up and down the country who would love their sons to treat them with as much respect as Joanne's son is treating her. And that's signed a West Cork mother. Thank you for that. 1850 We also mentioned student nurses yesterday, in particular when we were speaking with Deputy Holly Kearns. She was talking about the bill that they had tried to get passed the evening before so that student nurses who are working long, hard hours and midwives, student midwives as well, and they're not getting paid. And there was a bill before the doll, but it was defeated, I think, by only about 
was it three votes or five votes it really went down uh, to the wire so we touched on that yesterday and we had a number of people saying you know very annoyed that these student nurses who are really working at the cold face uh, in some cases cold face of COVID-19 and they're putting their own lives and their families' lives at danger by going into work every day and they're working long hours and they should be getting uh, paid for it a lot of people backing uh, the nurses but the government are seeing it uh, slightly differently well Anne contacted us uh, to say well I was listening, Patricia, to a lot of people ringing in to say, please play, pay students nurses. And yes, I would agree that's fine. But would you also remind people that student teachers don't receive anything towards the cost of materials and resources that they have to buy when they go out on work placement. It's absolutely unreal. They also have to pay €1,500 to attend a Gwaeltox twice in their four-year term while they're training to be uh, teachers. And that was something I hadn't thought about until that message came in uh, from um, and I know student teachers go out on work placement and it's valuable work experience for them and of course there's going to be materials that they're going to need you know you know, to help with their whatever class that they're actually teaching but to think that they have to pay for that out of their own funds does seem a little bit unfair even if I'm not saying that you'd pay the student teachers for their work placement but even if they gave them some kind of a grant towards the cost of the placement because you know not only on the resources there's also a travel you know they'd have to travel to and from sometimes the work placement mightn't be in the their hometown. So there'll be a cost in travelling to and from the school as well. So yeah, some of our students while they're out on work placement, doing the very same work that they will be doing when they're fully qualified, but not getting paid for it. And it actually costing their money does seem very, very unfair. And then a Killarney listener says, Patricia, I am really annoyed to learn that the one for all vouchers charge a fee presumably for non-use of my card. I didn't think that this would happen this year of all years as the opportunity to use these cards was greatly diminished because of COVID restrictions. When stores did reopen, I wasn't in a position to go out shopping and use the card as I am immune compromised with health issues and continue to cocoon. Granted, the charge is small and I fully accept that. But if they collect this from all of the cards that haven't been used this year, it presumably adds up to quite a substantial amount of money. And as a suggestion, I feel this money for this year should be donated to charity. I get these cards every year and I don't want them now ever again. The benefactor also has to pay when purchasing the cards and then the recipient pays if they don't use them within the designated time frame and with no regard for the lengthy lockdowns that we've all endured due to COVID. There isn't much goodwill shown, is there? I tried calling them on a Dublin number without success, says a Killarney listener. Now, we got that in late into the programme yesterday and I didn't get a chance uh, to do it. But it did get me thinking when I was in the office with John Paul afterwards and we've scheduled to do an interview on Monday with Dermot Jewell of the Consumer Association about this issue. And indeed, about any other consumer issue that you may have, Dermot is always great when we bring him on. There's always questions come in for Dermot. So if you have a consumer issue, get working on it over the weekend to get it into us on Monday. Uh, but yeah, I'll be interested to get Dermot's view on the uh, on the all the one for all vouchers. As far as I know, you have to use them within twelve months of the the purchase of the card and that's why it's important if you are buying 
a one for all card for somebody that you buy it as close to the time that you're handing the card to the person because I remember what happened with somebody I knew who had lost money on one of these cards as well. They'd got one of these cards for Christmas, but they didn't realise that the person had actually bought the card in October. Somebody who was planning early for Christmas and was spreading out the cost of Christmas over a number of months bought the card in October. And this person thought that the card would be active from when they received it at Christmas. And of course, when they went to spend it, they discovered a fee had been taken out for October, November and I think December. I think they didn't get to use it for a year until the following January, the January 12 months. And it is annoying. It is absolutely annoying that somebody hands over in very good faith money to a a company and they can take money from that card for no reason except that the card wasn't used within the 12 months. And that Killarney listener is right. When you buy one of those cards, is it a two euro charge? So you're also paying for buying one of the cards as well. It is annoying. So I'll speak with Dermot Jewell on it and and about other issues around giving gift cards. And I don't know how many people plump for giving gift cards at Christmas. I mean, it is a nice idea if you genuinely don't know You can't think of what to buy somebody. You know, sometimes giving a gift card, be it a gift card for uh, a favourite hotel or for, you know, a preferred restaurant or for a shop, are then the the advantages of the one for all that can be spent in so many uh, different places. But there's a sting in the tail if somebody doesn't use the card in time. And it's it's dreadful to think that you will lose, you lose money from the card, but you do. And uh, thems are the terms and conditions. And that's what they'll say when you try to complain to them. But I think that Killarney listener is right. I think on this of all years, I think there should be a little bit of leeway around the spending of the cards because not many people were able to get out and about with the lockdown and all of that. And thank you to Margaret this is to do with the Donnerail Parish Masses. We were talking about Masses during the week and we still are waiting on parishes to get back to us because this is the week they're deciding for sure, for sure, for sure what they're doing for Christmas. Will they be putting their Christmas Masses online rather than having to turn people away because they'll only be allowed 50 into their church. And we know that the Donnerail Parish, they have decided to have Mass on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. But you need to book in advance. There is a limited of availability on tickets and Margaret has kindly sent me on there's going to be 11 masses in total taking place in the parish of Donnerill so it's Donnerill Hazelwood and Shambally Moor and it's over the two days of Christmas Christmas Eve and Christmas Day five of the masses are already fully booked out uh, all of them on Christmas Eve the 4pm mass in Donnerill the half five Christmas Eve mass in Donnerill and then the seven o'clock Christmas Eve mass Donnerill that's booked out Hazelwood's eight o'clock Christmas Eve Mass booked out and the Shambhali Moor 8 o'clock Christmas Eve Mass booked out. There is limited availability for the 9 o'clock Christmas Eve Mass in Donnerill. Goodness me, they're putting on 1, 2, 3, 4 Masses on Christmas Eve in Donnerill. That's Good work on behalf of the priests there and they have a limited availability for the Christmas morning Masses. There's an 8.30 Mass in Donnerail, a 9.30 Mass in Shambhali Moor, 10 o'clock in Hazelwood and an 11 o'clock in Shambhali Moor and an 11, yeah, and the, that's the last one, the 11 a.m. Uh, mass is, as I say, that's Shambhali Moor. Limited availability uh, for those Masses. You can book online at donnerailparish.ie and as we also heard because people were complaining saying not everyone's able to go online you can also book tickets through the parish office next 
to the parish church on 022 788 That's the Donnerail Parish. They are having masses, but they are limited in the number of people they can allow into each of their masses. 1850-333-103. C103 Jobs. The Hybe Fitness Centre in Mallow, they are looking for a leisure centre attendant, while a care assistant with barista experience is required. That's for Don Manway. Vodafone and Clonakilty in Bandon, they've got vacancies for full and part-time sales assistant and a general assistant wanted for a busy scrap metal recycling yard that's in North Cork. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. A few calls this morning from the Castletown Bear area about the sightings of a rare bird in the area. Some are saying it's an American kingfisher, which is very different to our own native kingfisher. Annie was on and she reckons that some people have, have managed to get a photograph of this rare bird. And that's what we would love a copy of. Has anybody taken a photograph of what's been described as an American kingfisher in the Castletown Bear area? Because if you could get it into us, we would love to share that on our social media. 1850-333-103. Give John Paul a call. Now, Britain's proposal to take back up to 80% of EU fish caught in UK waters post-Brexit has been described as by the Minister for Agriculture, Food and Marine as very concerning. To get the views of the Irish fishermen to this news, I'm joined by Patrick Murphy, who is CEO of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation. Good morning to you, Patrick. Good morning. Uh, and you're welcome. How much fish does the Irish fishing fleet catch in UK waters every year? Is it a substantial amount? It is. And uh, you'll see in this, uh, there's an addition in the Irish Independent where some of our vessels have shown that 50% of what they catch uh, during the year is in UK waters. And it's non-quota species fish, which is even more important because it uh, gives the other vessels here a chance to catch more fish of the small quotas that we have, you know. So what would it mean to the Irish fishing fleet if Boris Johnson got his way on this? Well, I've said that it's game over, really, um, for our fishing vessels, and especially here in Castletown Bear, because it's it's a really complicated issue, Patricia. It's not just about the UK taking more fish. When uh, a country takes more fish like this, just to explain to the listeners, we're governed under sustainability rules that are ISIS, these are people, scientists, that evaluate each species of fish every year and decide how much fish can be taken from it in the calendar year so that it can replenish itself the following year. So okay. you keep the sustainability going. Which is important. We all, look, every fisherman that goes out, despite what is said about him, wants to make sure there's fish there again tomorrow. They're okay. after investing millions of euros into the equipment that they're using and are constantly updating that equipment with new technologies and new nets and new and to, to conform with new regulations to make sure they're sustainable. So it's in their best interest to make sure the fishing stocks are thriving outside there because they make their living from it. So, like, that's a, that's a no-brainer. But look, if the UK take more fish, somebody will have to pay for it. Somebody will have to take less. We also have the catastrophic fallout from this, which would be 400 boats that currently fish inside in their area would would have to leave. They'll close the doors. They'll say, out you go. This so is the boats, displacement of other European boats. Yeah. yeah. So and where would boats, they go? Well, here's the thing, right? The reason why those 
those boats are in UK and Irish waters is because their own areas won't sustain them. So that means they have to come to other areas where the fish are to keep going. So if the UK closes the doors and we see that we're the only other country that has the fish here, so it's logical to work out, they'll have to come here. Now, if they come here, they could have a huge impact on what we were talking at the start of the conversation, which is the sustainability of the stocks. If you put too many boats into an area, it's going to have an effect. We've been asking for that effect to be evaluated. We've asked for um, the history of what boats have fished historically in this area to make sure that with one boat that fished here back in 1980 isn't going to allow four more boats with passports to come in and fish here now under their original passport. So these things are really important for our fishing industry down here because it's coming at us from all angles. So we'll have less fish. We have a smaller share of fish than these visiting boats. To give an example, the monk quota, for instance, and everybody loves a bit of monk. Mm. The French fleet has eight times the right, eight times the capacity, eight times the volume that our boats are allowed to catch in our own waters. And we've gone through this before. The history of the fishing industry for Ireland is this. We had such plentiful waters, our fleet didn't have to travel like nomads. We didn't have to go to other fishing grounds to make our living. We had to fish on our doorstep. So when they set it in stone, the common fishery policy, it was based on where you fished and how much fish you caught. So we're at a massive disadvantage now because we're not allowed to go to France um, to fish for the monk, the hay, whatever. We don't have a track record there. The only times we can go into UK waters or other waters is for non-coated species, such as cuttlefish, such as squid. So if we're denied that access, we're pinned back into our own waters. Our vessels can't catch the fish in UK waters, and there's going to be uh, a flotilla of boats following them to come back into our waters. So for us, the Irish fleet, especially here in Castletown Bear, it's really, really detrimental to our fishing and the fishing communities that are here. Like, I can't would the, overstate. W- would the UK proposal, Patrick, would it have a bigger impact on fishing from the the southeast? I mean, I'm thinking particularly boats, say, for out of Kilmore Key. Yeah, and 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 Clogherhead. Like the the Irish Sea will be split in two. Like, just imagine up in Green Castle, you turn left, you're in Irish waters. You turn right, you're in UK waters. Like Rock Hall. This isn't just going to affect cattle down there, but you see, these boats, the modern fleet that we have, fish up in the north of Ireland at one part of the year and come down and follow the fish at a different part of the year. So it's affecting everybody. But you see, if you destroy where the fish come to spawn and breed, it destroys it for everybody. Like we explained this to Michelle Barney and we gave him the graphs that the Marine Institute had of the biologically sensitive area where we are and where the fish come to spawn year in, year out, right? Mm. So the fish come here to spawn, and then they move off. So the, the mackerel travel from the Bay of Biscay up to Iceland and up to Norway. That's the distance fish travel. So for one country to say, well, these are all ours now, and say zonal attachment, this is the new way that we're going to decide who catches fish, not a historic record, then if that's the case, shouldn't Ireland be putting forward the same views? Because... We have the zonal attachment. The fish come and they spawn in our area. Yeah, 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 that's a good so, argument. Could you live with Michael Barnier's offer of between 15 and 18%? Well, it's like this now. We had a quota for 200 kilos of uh, cod in the Celtic Sea. 200 kilos per month. That's a couple of kilos per haul. So living with us, we're already at the bottom of the barrel, to be honest with you. As I said, 
in the interview um, that the fishermen here had with the Irish Times, they clearly showed that they cannot survive on the fish that they have here. They have to go to the UK to catch non-quoted species. So it, we're squeezed as it is. I can't see how Ireland's fleet could absorb a cut like that if it's directed at us, especially when the reciprocal access is unknown. So to give an example of that, and we go back to Monk. Under the current common fishery policy, if the UK then decide that when they open negotiations and a hundred of their a ten we'll say ten of their boats want to fish in Irish waters again, as I said, to follow the fish as they move because they don't respect borders. And they want to catch fish, monk for instance, in Irish waters, and they ask for a hundred ton for their boats. Well how much of that hundred ton will we get back? Under relative stability, as I said, we'll get one kilo in ratio to eight for the French. But the French will be swapping a paper fish. So they haven't caught them. And they'll be saying, well, we're going to take your natural resource and we're going to swap it with the UK for monk in their waters or for some other type of fish. So you see, this is a multifaceted conflict. Mm, seems issue. just seems so unfair. Are you fearful, Patrick, that Ireland's fishing industry could be sacrificed for a Brexit deal? Well, you see, if we look back at history, this is the problem, Patricia. That is the case and has been the case. So we had 280 vessels in 2009, just, just over a decade ago. We're down to 165 now. Um, my own experience is from fishing in Baltimore, when I started myself with my father, out of Baltimore in a half-decker. There was 30 or more trawlers there. Now, they weren't very big trawlers, but they were trawlers all the same. If you go down to that port now, because of a couple of resilient families that are passionate about the industry and a couple of fishermen. There's five or six boats there now. So that, that was a direct result of decommissioning vessels to allow the sustainability of the catches. So how much more and how many more boats will we see have to leave and be decommissioned? Like these, these are generations of fishermen, and they'll have to step aside. Now, it's one thing to step aside for the sustainability of the staff. It's, an, it's another matter altogether to step aside for to allow your EU colleagues to come in and keep fishing here. Yeah, that's really galling. And, and what we're talking about here is the small, independent, family-run, as you oh, said, the absolutely. generational family-run fishing vessels. Yeah, yeah. So, like, can you imagine yeah. that and saying that to somebody that's worked all their lives in this industry, risked their lives? And they do risk their lives. People have to understand that. And their fathers know, before them and, and their, their grandfathers, before. yeah. Yeah. And it could be taken away from them and okay. and they have to look at foreign vessels coming in because they have a barrack right and then seeing that right traded as well. So if the UK have a grievance, we do too. So look, we've asked for the, the main priority that we've asked for our own negotiators here is in this instance to put on the green shirt and then the European shirt as well because if they destroy the biologically sensitive area here, if they damage the... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spawning stock. Then it's, it's a race to the bottom because we'll have lower quotas. It'll be harder to make a living. People will fish harder and it's it's not going to work out. Okay. So uh, it's an issue that. I know we'll come back to Patrick in the meantime. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Anytime, Patricia. Good morning thanks to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Patrick Murphy there, CEO of the Irish South and West Irish Fish Producers Organisation. Certainly not looking good for them as we uh, head into the final days um, whether we will get a Brexit deal or not. 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 A trio of musical sisters from Bandon have decided not to let the pandemic stop their musical talents and they're releasing their debut album called A Christmas Collection. Angela Ryan, who is the eldest of the sisters, joins me. Good morning to you, Angela. Good morning, Patricia. You're, How are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the program. I spoke with your sister Ella during the. We were, I think, we were in the first lockdown, or just coming out of the yeah. first lockdown. At that stage, you were doing these. Yeah, yeah, you were doing these weekly Facebook live gigs in your parents' garden. How did they? Yeah. How did they go for you? So that started up actually when Ella got home from the ship she was working on. She started to do some Facebook lives when she was in quarantine to kind of thank everybody for well wishes. And when she finished her quarantine, just kind of we were chatting and she said, sure, why don't we keep these lives going? And, you know, there was a little tradition of us actually performing in our dad's, uh, mum and dad's garden in the garage every Sunday morning years ago when we were small so we were kind of nostalgic about that and we were like sure couldn't we do that again you know and go live on Facebook and see who'd like to join us so it just snowballed from there and you did it for charity you raised money for charities didn't you at the time we did I suppose we did about eight or nine weeks or that around thereabouts first just just playing and just whoever would tune in we'd have people passengers that we would have met on ships over the years would be tuning in local people friends family and then we decided it seems that we had a bit of traction perhaps we could try and raise some money for some local charities so, well done well done yeah. it was it was it was ter- it was terrific because I tuned in one or two nights and it was just Thank it was good well it was just lovely to see it and we all needed a bit of a lift and a distraction and I think that's exactly exact, that's exactly what you what you managed to do now all for us as well, a distraction, you know, because we were getting together, I suppose, and just practicing and we'd organize our set list. And, you know, it was a, a little project for us as well. 
Kept you busy. All yeah. three of you are professional musicians. Just tell me about each of you and your musical talents and what each of you do. So I suppose at the moment, all of us are just trying to find any way to make music that we can. Hence this, this the, uh, the birth of the album. But uh, I, Ella, the youngest, is the most recent one of us to work on cruise ships. But all three of us would have spent a good few years on ships and at home. Um, Ella and myself worked for Princess Cruises. I did a duo with my sister Mary Jo for a few years back in 2006 and seven on the island cruises back in the Mediterranean and since our cruising days, myself and Mary Jo have been gigging with bands. I have my own wedding band. Mary Jo has sang with a couple of different wedding bands around the city. And um, then Ella took a break from teaching to actually go cruising once we had finished up. So I think she she saw what we had done and she was like, do you know what? I'd like to give that a go. So like, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah. A, it's a great experience to do for a period of, of time. And anyone that's ever done it uh, yeah. speaks about, you know, what, what a great experience it was. So this time of the year, um, Angela, for, you know, professional musicians, this would normally be probably the busiest time of the year, would it? Absolutely, between Christmas parties in hotels and weddings or if you're doing wedding ceremonies, there's just so much on usually or even just Christmas parties in pubs. I mean, it's just usually a bit of mayhem and madness, but everybody loves the buzz of it. Mm. And that will be sorely missed now this year. And singing in church? Absolutely. We sing in Gaggan Church. Our church is just down the road from my own house and we've been doing Christmas morning mass there since we were kids. Uh, So it will actually be very, very strange to not get to sing, you know, Silent Night and Oh Holy Night and those kind of things this Christmas. She might go into the garden and sing it and do a Facebook Live. (laughs) On Christmas morning. The weather is kind. Instead of the the Christmas morning swim, is it? Yeah, that's it. That's it. So, so which of you came up with the idea of, of doing a Christmas CD? You know, it was actually our father. Oh, <laughs> we I... have to give him the credit. Um, we had done so much singing over the summer. He just came up with this idea in October. He was like, "You have to do it now because you did so much singing during the summer and you've never done any recording. So now is the time. Bite the bullet." I suppose our initial reaction was we don't have time, Dad. That's the time to get it done remotely and organised and printed and in the shops before Christmas was going to be a big push. So he was met probably with his apprehension, but he kept pushing. <laughs> Go on, Dad. You can't you can't <laughs> beat daddies, can you? And 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 you have managed to get together together. What 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 blew me away was the fact that you've never recorded together before. Not really in this setting, to be honest. I think years ago, myself and Mary Jo would have done a few demo recordings. and But we've never actually done anything like this before. And it was made all the stranger then by the fact that we had to do it remotely. We've never met any of the musicians <laughs> that played on the album. Except we know personally the fantastic Conor O'Sullivan who would have produced it for us and played quite a lot of the instruments on it. And I'm sure you know Conor and I his daughter very well. Yeah. Um, but other than that, we, we've never met anybody that has worked on it. So that's a bit surreal. Now, I know the, the physical CD is available. I think, is it from today? It's available for purchase. Yeah, 
So we we were very lucky that they came in a little bit earlier than expected. So I was able to dash around over the past two days and get them into the few of our local shops that have agreed to sell it for us. And uh, and it, it's there now, ready for the taking. And that includes Farrell's news agent in Bandon, Warren Allen Cafe in Bandon, Enniskeen and Timoley. They're at the post office, Scanners yeah. Pharmacy in Bananine and Options Boutique in Clan. And, and they're, they're, they're also in the Chinese takeaway, are they? Yeah, they're in Zandon. <laughs> we have lovely friends in the Hokey restaurant and they are going to sell it for us. And Kevin O'Leary Centra and, of course, Ross Oil over at Whitesgates. My dad used to work there for years. Well done. And, uh, so it's nice. Uh, well done. And it's all well-known Christmas songs. Well-known Christmas songs. There's, I suppose the only... A surprise on there really would be the picture this track and that was Mary Jo's request it was a favourite Christmas song of hers okay. all the others are Let It Snow Winter Wonderland Merry Christmas Everyone those kind of things but Brilliant. Mary Jo really loved this song we said you know what this it could be just absolutely beautiful and it turned out fab Frank and Rita have just sent in a text saying we met Angela on a cruise in Alaska beautiful girl <laughs> with a beautiful voice isn't that isn't lovely that a small world <laughs> it is indeed and, t- and tell you how even smaller it is I've been informed I'd love to say I remember it um, I've been celebrating 30 years on air yeah. and it turns out about 29 years ago I yeah. interviewed you Angela you what, what was it for? I was a lot less spoken back then I'm okay. telling you I it was I was um, learning the keyboard with Maraid Higgins in Dunmanway okay. and we she was sending me or else I had come from a keyboard competition in Kilmainham in Dublin and you I went up I think at the time you were based in kind of prefabs up on we the We were we were porter cabins yeah, and then I, I I remember going up there, and I remember you asking me my age, and I was like, um, <laughs> I had to think about. It. I think I said I was nine. I'm not even sure if I was nine, but I just threw out a number. <laughs> and here you are. We won't ask. I'm I'm told we won't ask you your age today. So that's so that's okay. Now we've I, I I've picked my favourite song from the album because I'm a huge fan of Oh Holy Night. Um, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your version of it because I haven't. John Paul wouldn't let me hear it until I play it out because I absolutely <laughs> love I love this song. So listen, best of luck with the album. It's doing really well. You can you can buy it online. It's doing well online, isn't it already? We released it online on uh, the first of December, and it actually went into the iTunes chart at number eight but Brilliant. within a few hours it was at number one well done well done it was it's something to be proud of we it, were thrilled it's a Christmas collection by the Ryan sisters happy Christmas to each and every one of the Ryan sisters and all of your family um, Angela you. and it was a pleasure as always to talk to you Thank and you. don't we'll leave it yeah I don't well, we won't leave it 29 <laughs> years for the next chat okay okay <laughs> god right. bless and mind yourself yeah. take care and the album the CD now available locally around West Cork it's called A Christmas collection and if you're not in the area and can't get your hands on a copy of the CD it is also available on iTunes you simply search the Ryan sisters on iTunes I wish them the best of luck with it that's beautiful really beautiful beautiful version of that uh, song and thanks once again to Angela for taking time out to talk to us This is Cork Today Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103 Cork's greatest
Uh, hi, uh, Patricia. I found the the new Super Value Christmas ad. You know the ad that we reckon is going to be the Christmas ad of 2020. The little boy constantly asking mum and dad, uh, you sure he's coming? Are you sure he's coming? And of course, when you watch it first, you assume that he's talking about Santa Claus coming because you see him writing his Santa list. You see him putting out the mince pies for Santa Claus and putting up his sign saying Santa, uh, stop here. So you're just assuming it's Santa Claus. But of course it is. And it turns out he was just worried that granddad uh, wouldn't be coming. It's just a beautiful, beautiful ad. Anyway, that ad, a listener says, I'm finding it a very tough watch uh, this year. When I think of all of the poor children that have lost their grandparents, especially those that lost their grandparents during COVID, and they won't be calling for Christmas this year. It brings a tear to my eye every time I watch it, which is normally something that doesn't happen to me, says this texter. Happy Christmas and uh, stay safe. And I actually was thinking as well, the more I watch it, I was thinking of the children who grandparents won't be travelling for Christmas because some people have made the decision grandparents that have decided to cocoon and continue cocooning and they don't want to go into a household with a lot of other adults and children and there are some grandparents that are making that decision and by the way need to be respected if they make that decision that they want to stay in their own houses pressure shouldn't be put on anyone to do anything this Christmas this is a very very unusual Christmas so there will be households that normally have granny and and granddad visit who, who won't be coming but you're right you're right there are families I know a friend of mine lost her gorgeous father very suddenly actually during the year and uh, she's obviously heartbroken but she's also thinking of her children who always had granddad uh, for Christmas and it's going to be their Christmas their granddad as well so yeah I can see um, why uh, you find it uh, really really upsetting 1850 I was reading out about all the masses that are going on in Donnerail at uh, the Donnerill Parish this Christmas. I'm blown away by the amount of masses that are putting on in the three churches. It's Donnerill, Hazelwood and Jambalimore. And somebody says, Tricia, how many priests do they have in that Donnerill Parish? I must say, they seem to be going above and beyond. Well done to them. And I checked with John Paul, who tells me there's only two priests. And the amount of masses that they are, it's 11 masses in total they're going to do between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. That's incredible. That really... Some priests, fair juice of them, fair juice of them. Now, and that's not taking from other priests because you also have to remember that many of our priests are elderly and physically wouldn't be able to do that many masses. And some of them, when I talk about grandparents cocooning, some of our priests are cocooning as well. But some of the priests really are going, that listener is right, that's going above and beyond. We were talking about nurses and should nurses be paid? This is the trainee nurses and the trainee midwives. The listener is saying nurses should be on apprenticeship rates while they're training the very same way that you'd have carpenters or electricians or other trades why not treat nurses the same way also says this texter Ireland in the past we exported our best nurses and many of them went to the UK to train they were interviewed in places like Jury's Hotel and then paid good wages while they trained in London hospitals the same girls couldn't get in here because it was a fee-paying course at the time. So only those with privileged backgrounds got to train as nurses in this country. Not the best means, was it, of selecting the qualities of a prospective nurse. And then we went through a stage uh, where it was who you knew was the scenario. That kicked in back in the 70s and that was 
pretty much alive and well during the 80s as well. So it is a much fairer system now that they get their points and they all go to college and that's how they qualify. But we've now ended up with their, where they used to train on the wards and got paid. That's gone except for their final year is when they go on to the wards and that's the scenario people are talking about and that's what they tried to get changed in the doll this week because this year of all years all of those student nurses and midwives have really, really worked hard. And then a listener was saying when you're talking about te- about nurses, don't forget about student teachers who go out on placement. They don't get paid and there can be a cost factor because they there can be travel, the cost of travelling, but there's also resources that have to be purchased by those student teachers and they have to pay for that out of their own pockets. And it was, it was Anne, a mother obviously, of a student teacher who was sharing her thoughts uh, with us. That prompted somebody to say, teachers again, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. What about the three month months paid holidays? Yeah, but what Anne was talking about was her daughter who is a student teacher and it's costing her to go out on her placement this year. And still getting in commentary uh, for Joanne and the plight she finds herself in on the daughter who wants to come home and the son is saying no, she can't come home from the UK for Christmas this year. Meg says, Joanne's daughter didn't put her mother first until her plans were thwarted. So my words to Joanne is, your son is a jewel, says uh, Meg. And Anne says, Patricia, first of all, the Christmas song that you played, Oh Holy Night from the Rhine Sisters, brought tears to my eyes. It did to me too. Anne says, yesterday, I didn't hear about the sister in England not being able to go to Australia. I thought she just wanted to come home to for Christmas. So my thinking on this situation has changed. I thought she was desperate to come back to be with her mom for Christmas. But now she's just been selfish. She should not come as she could pick up the virus at the airport or on the plane and then give it to her mum or indeed give it to anybody else. Who knows? And I do hope that the brother is not being controlling and jealous because he's sounding to me like a mammy's boy and he's sounding to me like he's been a little bit controlling in all of this. Yeah, and the poor old mom, poor old Joanne is caught right in the middle. That's where my heart really goes out uh, to. Catherine says, I'm agreeing with one of your previous textures to the programme. If Joanne's daughter was able to travel to Australia this year, then she wouldn't have bothered about her mom for Christmas. Christmas. Perhaps a Zoom call was as much as Joanne could have expected. And it's true. She wasn't thinking of Christmas with her mother when she booked her flights to Australia, was she? Now she's nowhere to go and she decides suddenly she wants to come home to Mammy in Ireland. The, that woman's son is doing the right thing by saying not, not to allow his sister to travel over. And that's from Catherine. And someone else says that son has no right to say who can come into Joanne's house. It's his mother's house at the end of the day. My son wouldn't dream of telling me who I can have at my house. I think there's more to this than the virus. Uh, is he hiding something? Whoa. 1850-333-103. And then Kay was on to us in Mallow to say, I bought what was supposed to be a boned and rolled ham in a supermarket this morning. However, when I put it into the oven, it started falling apart. I figured out myself how long it should take to be cooked. But now I'm at a loss, as it basically seems to be different pieces of bacon stuck together. I don't know how long I should have been cooking it for. And I'd be raging, says Kay, if I opened up the oven and that was the situation on Christmas morning. So I suppose we need somebody 
a butcher, somebody in the know uh, to give us advice to Kay. Why would a boned and rolled ham, why would it fall apart when Kay put it into the oven? Or is that common for a boned and rolled? I know I get a boned and rolled turkey. Find it great, very little waste. And I know some people, traditionalists, will say, oh my God, that's an awful way to cook a turkey. But it's the easiest way. But that's tied up very tightly with string. So it never falls apart. And I normally get the one with the stuffing inside. And so I don't, I've never had a problem with that. I'd never had a boned and rolled ham, though, because the meat eaters in our house are the bigger ham eaters. So I always get a larger ham. So I've never gone for a boned and rolled. But is that common that a boned and rolled ham would fall apart when it's in the oven? And why has it come out, as Kay describes it, as looking like all different pieces of ham stuck together? As I say, I need a butcher or I need a boner. I can't believe I said that. I need a butcher, somebody who knows about meats uh, to explain that, uh, please, to us so we can pass the information on to Kay. 1850-333-103. And on greyhounds, remember we were discussing greyhounds yesterday when we had Holly Kearns on the programme. This is from Joanna, who says, in Domamway, says, Hi Patricia, here's a picture of my rescued greyhound. I hate the thought of greyhound racing. Greyhounds should be curled up on people's sofas and living in a safe, loving home. And a most gorgeous picture. <laughs> what a gorgeous face that dog has. And anyone, it's funny, I think we the Irish don't look at greyhounds as pets, I think because of the greyhound industry and because of greyhound racing and coursing in this country. But if you go just across the water into the United Kingdom, particularly around England, the amount of people that have greyhounds as pets is phenomenal. I mean, you'll rarely see people walking greyhounds in this country as pets. You'll see people who train their dogs. But but it's, as I say, it's completely different in England. Everywhere you go, you'll see people out with uh, greyhounds and you'll always see if they meet another greyhound, the owner stop for the chat and, and all of that. But I don't know what it is. I, I think it's to do with the greyhound industry. I'm not sure. But by all accounts, anyone who's ever had a greyhound or a lurcher will say they make the most amazing household as a family dog, as a family pet, they're just wonderful. They're just really, really wonderful. And then Eamon says, this is on the funding of the greyhound industry because that's what Holly Kearns was talking about. She's against the funding. And in particular, it was after the budget when she discovered that the greyhound industry was getting another, I think it was 2.1 million, which means next year the greyhound industry will get n- over 19 million euro from the Exchequer. And she was making the point when there's so many other services, disability services that need help and in health and a lot of different areas that need money. She just thought it was crazy that they were even going to get in uh, on top of the money they're already getting to think that they would get in, in, an increase on what she says is a loss-making loss industry. Eamon says, as far as I remember, the state changed how they fund horse and greyhound racing many years ago. Once upon a time, it was a monetary funding directly every year. But it changed for both codes. Eamon said they now receive a dividend from the betting tax generated on course and from the betting tax. So it comes through taxation, according to Eamon. I suppose all funding, no matter what funding comes from the government, comes from either direct or indirect uh, taxation. Thanks for your email, Eamon, to Patricia at c103.ie. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Celebrate a real Cork Christmas. Find out more at corkcoco.ie. The running fireman Alex O'Shea is asking everyone to take on the challenge of helping his virtual 
guide dog to travel the world in 80 days and raise funds for the wonderful Irish guide dogs for the blind. To join the fun, you simply make a donation at justgiving.com forward slash around the world in 80 days. And then you send your kilometres and miles to Alex's Facebook, uh, which is facebook.com forward forward slash challenge Alex. All proceeds will go towards supporting the life-changing work of the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind. Cora Threshing Committee, they are fundraising for Breakthrough Cancer Research Cork. Their tickets are on sale. They are giving away €10,000 in cash. They're available from all the committee members or you can call 086 803 5317. Now get your tickets quickly because the draw takes place tomorrow. And Kinsale Community Health and Wellbeing Resource Centre, they're fundraising to meet running costs and they're inviting families to get together to take part in their 12 days of Christmas quiz. You register on idonate.ie forward slash 12 days of Christmas quiz before December 20th and then questions will be sent every day to register email an email address from December 26th to January 6th to January 6th the cost is 25 euro per registration and the first correct entry draw wins 250 euro and Carolyn Clonakilty, when I mentioned that a listener had been on about the super value ad, which I think is certainly going to go down as the best ad of this year, but she finds it rather upsetting. And in particular, the reason she finds it upsetting is she's thinking of the children who won't have a granddad with them this Christmas because they passed away during the year. Carolyn Clonakilty said, my little boy is still crying for his granddad who passed away in March of this year. Isn't that heartbreaking? For him to see this ad, it really, really is upsetting. Carol said she knows of other people who just don't put on Irish TV uh, until the kids have gone to bed for fear that the ad comes on. So it is, yeah, it's upsetting for some. That's dreadful, that is. And it will be a sad, sad Christmas for so many this year. And I know people will say, doesn't that happen? every year and of course it doesn't the first Christmas is always uh, more difficult and someone else says Patricia that ad about the granddad is beginning to annoy me I feel like shouting at the TV every time it comes on didn't I tell you numerous times he is coming says a a texter and thank you to a couple of people including Mary who has pointed out when we were talking about the all the masses that are going on between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in Donnerwell Parish and Somebody was saying, how many priests do they have? They've gone above and beyond with their 11 masses. And I, John Paul thought it was two, but it turns out it isn't. There's actually four. Mary says they're, uh, with all the masses, they have in fact four priests in the parish. They've got the parish priest, but then they're in a lucky position that they have two retired priests who are coming out or willing to come out of retirement and help out. There's also another priest who's staying with them at the moment. He's in the priest's house in Chambalimore. He's, he's appointed out to position in Maynooth so he's there on a, on a temporary basis at the moment. So there'll be four in total, OK? Um, but they're, they're doing great with their 11 masses but you need to book online or you need to call the parish centre if you want to book a place because obviously it can't be a free-for-all. They can't simply open the doors and just let everybody in. 1850-333-103. Now for this week's Fiona Gets Festive, our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran went to Castle Barter National School where the principal and the parents have certainly gone, gone above and beyond to try and make the school as festive as possible for the children. And they have created what Fiona describes as a winter walkway to the school for the children.
It's the most wonderful time of the year. You can see like the delight in their eyes as they're walking past. They're staring up at all the, the decorations, trying to spot as many things as they could. Um, and they're, they're not allowed to stop on the walk, so it was like <laughs> they're walking in slow motion up the, up the, uh, up the path. <laughs> the normal festive activities enjoyed by school children are on hold this year, so principal of Castle Martyr National School, Barrow Othuma, decided to transform the school entrance into a winter walkway to brighten up their mornings. So we're trying to think outside the box and um, we were just looking outside here one evening and we saw that we had a perfect landscape for something like this so and then we had the perfect people to make it work so we have our cater- caretaker Peter who can make anything out of anything. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I did most of the decoration like basically the the, the woodwork uh, I make the, the the creep and a few other things. <laughs> I'm working here eight years and I just try to make something for the kids to, to just cheer up their, their days yeah. and then we have great parents who are great support like um, Karen Sargent one of the mothers did all the painting and the different props I'm delighted she was complete escapism for me to be messing away inside in the room painting like it was just I was delighted delighted and other families the Kylie's built the reindeer over in the far off corner and people donated old things from the back of their shed and things like that so we thought since the community were really after buying into what we were doing to reopen the school safely that it'd be nice to do a whole community kind of effort thing and everybody bought into it. Karen Sargent's 11-year-old daughter Emma is in the school and Karen explains why she wanted to get involved in the project. It's a great school, it's done so much for my family, Um, it's done so much for my daughter. My daughter was born with Down syndrome and she was born with a visual impairment and I just wanted to pay it forward. They've just been an extremely kind and respectful school. Her education level is, is amazing. Um, and I'm so grateful for everything that they've done all all through the school, the staff, principal, the children. It's just such a fabulous, inclusive school and I'm delighted to be here and help them out and do what I can. What age is she? She's 11. She's in fifth class. Yeah. And she's, you know, she's reading, writing, doing her maths. For the little girl that came in in junior infants to the girl who's like, you know, growing into a teenager, what she's like she was very shy and you know she'd be nervous speaking in public whereas now she's standing up in class and she's telling people her news and her speech is you know so clear and you know for her to be able to function socially in 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 the world and be in a mainstream school is just so important and what did emma think when she saw her mammy's creation she was always like well done mom it's amazing she was just thought it was the most awesome thing to come into school and see santa claus and Christmas trees and lights and it was just great. And what about the other kids? I love it and I think it's really cool. It makes everyone happy, excited for school. It feels good, like it's fun to look at and so, yeah. It gets you in the Christmas spirit. Yeah. After the year we had, I think it's really good and there's a lot of effort put into it as well. Like everyone missed school a lot because like we were really bored at home and everyone was looking forward to go back to school. So we were happy when we came back. That they tried to make it like really good for us. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, very good. It feels like we're in like an actual winter wonderland.
Well, John, that's a lovely piece from Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter. Fiona gets festive. And well done to everybody at Castle Marcher National School. That's really uh, making it very, very special for the children. And it is the most wonderful time of the year. And it is all about children. And this time last week, we were getting ready and getting very excited about the annual toy show. And then, of course, we watched the toy show and the entire nation fell in love with one of our own little East Cork lad, Adam uh, King. And he is back on the Late Late Show tonight because he's going to meet one of his heroes. Uh, Six-year-old Adam will meet astronaut Chris Hadfield on the Late Late Show. He'll also chat to Ryan Tuberty about his week in the spotlight. Remember last week he spoke about his dreams of wanting to work for NASA in ground control and when Ryan asked him about, do you not want to be an astronaut? Would you not have an, you know, because he's all about space. And the way he just very simply said, I can't be an astronaut because I've got brittle bones, but he could work in ground control. And after the, sh- the show, of course, as we know, NASA tweeted their support for Adam. But in the um, but and then there was Chris Hatfield the astronaut also came on as well and reached out to Adam and said he was looking forward to meeting him so it seems they're on they're going to be on tonight's uh, programme and of course we know Chris Hatfield he was the first Canadian to walk in space he flew two space shuttle missions and he also served as commander of the International Space Station and if my memory serves me right his daughter was a student in Trinity College because I know when he was on the space station he was always sending photographs of Ireland and sending messages to Ireland and the connect, and he has a deep love and affinity to Ireland. So I wasn't at all surprised when I saw uh, um, him reach out to to young Adam so we'll get to see that tonight on the Late Late Show uh, Michael D Higgins is also going to be on there's a special tribute to uh, Sharon Shannon uh, and also Gary Barlow that got announced last week isn't it Gary Barlow uh, is on it and then the GAA President John Horne and sports broadcaster Damien Lawler uh, will speak about the All-Ireland Football and Hurling Finals and did we ever think we'd be in the month of December talking about the Football and Hurling Finals 1853 333103. We've Sadie and John Paul taking your calls on greyhounds. Mary said, Patricia, greyhounds and greyhound crosses are becoming very popular pets in this country, and that's thanks to the many rescues. Heart is a local rescue, constantly taking in these dogs from pounds and from other bad situations. All these dogs are ending up on people's sofas. Yeah, because that's what I mentioned when I got that lovely photograph of somebody's rescued greyhound saying what a beautiful, fabulous pet uh, they made. So that's good to hear, Mary, that lots of people are taking on uh, greyhounds as uh, pets. And we were talking about ads, Christmas ads. The listener says the Woody's ad at the moment is super. It just shows the kindness of other people and in in particular the kindness of young people and that's the the lady who goes out with her dog and the gate won't close properly and every day in and out she's having problems with the gate and the young lad across watching her every day and he goes and and fixes it for her and does it quietly and doesn't even tell her what he's doing. Yeah, that's that's another terrific ad, yeah. Lo- love the Christmas ads. 1850 333 103. Going to take a break. And we are back talking about this year's Lines Christmas Food Appeal. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. Now the Lions Club's Christmas food appeal is now underway for Christmas 2020 and I have a feeling that there is going to be a huge demand uh, for this uh, more so than any other year. Joining me with details, Pat O'Brien of the Lions Clubs. Uh, Good morning to you, Pat. Hi Patricia, how are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome to the programme. Do Lions Clubs all over the country organise food, food appeals? Is yeah, this, it's exactly. a nationwide thing, is it? Exactly, Patricia. We have um, we have 107 clubs in the island of Ireland. Uh, there's 94 in the south and there's 13 in the north. And we have 14 clubs in Cork City and County. Um, just for the record, in around the city we have Bishoptown Lions Club, Douglas, Cork, Cove, Cargilline and Kinsale and in the in the county area we have Clonakilty, Skibbereen, Bantry, McCroom, Fermoy, Mitchelltown, Middleton, Charleville and on the coming uh, today on Saturday and Sunday we'll be collecting in Dunn stores and Super Value and all those clubs will have an unmanned uh, trolley at their collection point in the various different supermarkets so it really you are so right Patricia now more so than ever, we need people to donate goods and money for the needy. Um, we liaise with community guards and nurses and various different groups with the BDP as well to find out exactly who are in need because we don't really know who's in need. We think we do. But we, we get a lot of information from the local community. As I said, the guards and the nurses, they help us a lot. And are people always very generous, Pat? I, I'll be very honest, Patricia. Yes, it's amazing. And when you look at the people who are donating the most, sometimes you begin to wonder. Uh, really, people are wonderful. Uh, we have this Christmas food appeal going on for a long number of years now. Um, because, you know, the Lions Club are, are they're 63 years in Ireland. And, like, we, we've been doing the Christmas food appeal for nearly that long. And, like, I, I know I'm speaking on behalf of the Cork Lions Club, but I know that last year we donated... Uh, I think there's about 400 hampers to the old and needy around the city. And all the different Lions clubs all over Ireland do exactly the same thing. Uh, but unfortunately, with COVID this year, uh, we have an unmanned trolley. So that's not normally you see the, the Lions club with their beanies and their hats and their 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 uh, different uh, items of interest like anoraks and that. But this year, it's just the trolleys are unmanned. They look a little bit... <laughs> They look a little bit out of place because there's nobody there. Yeah. But we we would remind people that now more so than ever, as you so pointed out in your opening remarks, more so than ever now we need people to donate because this is these are trying times for everybody. Yeah, and I I, I don't know if it was last year or the year before I was I was doing a donation at at one of your Lions clubs and the members were there and, and I was just I was just chatting uh, to the gentleman that was there and asking how they were getting on etc. And this elderly lady uh, came up and she gave I remember it was a 20 euro donation she'd got her Christmas bonus and uh, she they, the gentleman was saying God it's very kind of you and she said actually this family's needed more than I do and I just remember thinking my God out of her Christmas bonus the generosity of some people is just outstanding I agree entirely and not only is it in Cork City and County but all over the world Patricia people really they are, they are great and it's only when you're involved in the Lions Club you really begin to see the better side of people uh, they, they really are extremely generous at a time when, when they need to be generous and especially this Christmas more so than ever we do need people to donate 
in, in all the branches of, 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 of the Lions Club where we collect. And I know in Cork, we're collecting in the, in the supermarkets of Duns in Ballyballan and Patrick Street. In Super Value, we collect in Glanmire and Black Rock. But I know that Lions Clubs all over the country are collecting in their various different supermarkets. Yeah, so you'll very, see it. Very, you'll see the trolley. There'll be a sign. Exactly. It's, it's, ver- it's very correct. easy to see it. Is there, is there any food items in particular? I, I'm always unsure what I should be putting into those well, trolleys. We, we don't need any, any perishable items. Okay. But you know, uh, tea, sugar, um, 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 cornflakes, beans, peas, anything that people will eat, we'll, we'll put into a hamper and we'll distribute them. And the tre- I mean, I, and the treats as well, the the, the, the tins well, of sweets. Treats, treats are all treats are always. Don't you know treats? Even for adults like you yeah, and I, treats yeah. are always lovely. I mean, who will refuse a chocolate Santa, for instance? You know, it's yeah. wonderful. How <laughs> can people donate cash if you've got unmanned trolleys? Well, we have we have. Uh, uh, I was in a supermarket yesterday now in 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 um, in um, Frankfield, and uh, there's a super value there which is uh, sponsored by the Douglas Lions Club. And they have the collection points there. Uh, there's a, uh, um, they had a, a, a tie tag tied to the trolley. Uh, but uh, I'll be very honest, even though we're not supposed to, the Lions members will be up and down, you know, fairly frequently. Because, yeah. uh, you know, uh, when, when, when you have um, unmanned uh, cash boxes, there is a bit of a temptation. But Lions members from all the various different clubs all over Cork City and County, they, they'll be... We're not supposed to man them, but believe you me, they will be. They will be unmanned. Manned. They'll be hovering at a social distance. Is <laughs> what they'll be doing, because I, I assume it's it's great for you guys to get the cash in, so then you can decide if you're short on items. Is that is that no, how you do it, Patricia? Patricia, I hear you saying it's great for you guys, but the Lions Club are male and female members. I just absolutely to tell your listeners. Yeah, you know we're we're not only a male organisation. We are a male and female organisation. We also have a. a uh, a Leo club for young people as well to get them involved with Lions International as well, you know. So, um, sorry. I was. I said, is is it good for is it good for you for your members to get the cash so you can decide, you know, if you're short on items? Yes, uh, we we do that every year. Except you're right. Uh, when people see you with a collection box, they're inclined to put a collection put a put money in. And they say, oh, I forgot to get something, but I'll give you a, a cash donation. So the same thing uh, uh, will result this year, hopefully. Even though it's unmanned, we will be in our own. We, we, we'll be hovering, as you so rightly pointed out. We'll be hovering in the vicinity. And, uh, yeah, it's nice because when we make up, we, we get some requests from different community groups about what they need. Yeah. And, yeah, it's nice when you have the cash that they can go and buy exactly what people require, you know. So the collection is now officially underway. How long will you collect for? When do you need all the items in by? Well, well, we, we, we'll collect on, 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 as I said, today, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And uh, we'll be distributing there next week. You know, we'll make up the hampers and we'll distribute next oh, week. Oh, so it's and just this it. weekend? That's just this weekend. Okay. Uh, and it's just, I'll be very honest, Patricia, there's so many great causes out there, but we are doing this, as I said, for a long number of years. And uh, this year, more so than ever, uh, we collected from various different supermarkets before. But now, with this COVID thing, you know, we're, we're only allowed to collect in, in a couple of different supermarkets. But if you, look, if you look around your local supermarket, you'll see the signage for the Lions Clubs. Mm. And, uh, you know, you know, please 
donate because more so than ever people are more in need now than ever you know they really are and what's lovely about the Lions Club uh, food appeal the food that's collecting locally will stay locally so, so okay. you, and you never know you, nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors you know you can have somebody with a big car parked up outside a big house and you think everything's fine and there could be food poverty going on in, in, in that house yeah, that's quite true. Patricia, I, I just want to tell you that Lions Club helps local communities in a number of ways. And with every cent collected, it goes directly to good causes. We don't spend one cent on administration because we focus on good deeds and help those who are less fortunate. So really, when we pay a membership, every member of, of the Lions Club pay a membership fee. And so much of that membership fee goes to admin costs, but the rest will go to charity. So any money that people donate will go direct to charity. We don't have CEOs, we don't have paid administrators, so every cent that we collect goes directly to the charities. Okay, and I know I've spoken with Vincent de Paul uh, before, a particular great organisation, and there will be people this year, Pat, who would have been contributors on previous years, but because of job losses due to the pandemic, will suddenly be in need and there's no shame in yep. saying yep. I, I need yep. a bit of a, I mean, need a bit of a handout this year and then you'll be back hopefully on your feet next year and you'll be contributing yep. again. Yep, yeah. As, as well as that Patricia I just want to say if anybody's interested in joining the Lions Club okay. we're, on, we're on Facebook we'd love new members and um, we would love people to join and it's a great way because um, I, I know people are busy in, 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 their, in their day-to-day lives but most clubs the meetings are held once a month and it will take over about an hour or so. And you'd be expected to attend a, meet, a monthly meeting, get involved in the work of the club. And you'll be surprised at how much you'll enjoy the fun and the friendship in being aligned. It's a great, it's great way to form friendships. It's a, it's certainly it's a, it's a terrific it way. Certainly has, it certainly been, has it been a tough year for the Lions Club? How have you, organized, how have you done with meetings? Patricia, would you believe it? We hold virtual meetings now. Oh, right, OK. And they're working it's all, out? It's all virtual. Well, you know, people are shy and, and they don't want to talk on, on, on a Zoom. But, like, yeah, it's working out. But, unfortunately, we, we, I know in the Cork Lions Club, we were having uh, outdoor bingo. We had one uh, in the summer, and we're going to hold another one shortly. But now, of course, it's a bit difficult, and it's only near Christmas. So most of our fundraising this year for Lions Clubs all over Ireland is fairly restricted. Even the Christmas food appeal with an unmanned trolley, but that's the way Dunn's wanted. That's the yeah, way the supermarket yeah, wanted, you know. It's, it's, so it's, it's a pity, the, Patricia. But the we'll Ireland of COVID. We'll be, yeah, exactly. yeah. We'll listen, be back with a bang. Uh, best of luck with it. I, I know, I know, I don't have to say it. I know how generous uh, the Cork people across city and county are. Uh, so I know you'll get everything, all the items that you need. But listen, have a great Christmas to you and everybody involved with the Lions Club and keep up the great work. Patricia Gormilamab, could I just say I want to wish you a very happy birthday. Thank you. 30 years broadcasting yeah. and your first radio station was CBC. It was, back in Clonmel. In Clonmel, was it? Yeah. My gosh, well done. Well, listen, you. you know what? You're very enterprising and you're wonderful. You're a wonderful uh, uh, um, uh, administrator and a wonderful chap. You really are. It's well, you're, you're a kind Thank soul. You. Thank you. I appreciate it. God bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. Pat O'Brien there on behalf of the Cork City and County Lions Clubs. Keep a lookout, please, if you're shopping this weekend and be a generous. Mary and Mallow has been out shopping and she gives she comes to us with a word of warning today. People need to check their till receipts uh, when they're leaving a shop or maybe you check it before you leave. Mary ended up getting charged €80 for her shopping. It was only when she got home and looked at the till receipt, probably thinking, God, my shopping's very expensive this week, she noticed what had happened. She'd purchased three candles. Now, I don't know how much they are, but say the candles were €5. Instead of 
them going in as three candles, three by five euro. It went through as 39 by five euro instead of a three. Simple mistake. It was obviously just a click of the button. But Mary didn't realise until she got home. Uh, she went back and there was no problem. She got her refund. But she says it's cautionary tale for her. Check your children's seat. But she also makes a good point. And you probably notice this a lot more when you're in supermarkets and in a lot of uh, shops. They're not automatically handing you your till receipt. They'll say to people, do you want your receipt? And I'm assuming that's because a lot of people don't want to be handling items that are handled by somebody else. So I've certainly noticed that during the pandemic. They'll always say to you, do you want your receipt? So Mary says it is worthwhile always getting your receipt when you're in any supermarket and then or any shop and then check to see because 80 euro that's a lot of money thank you for that um, Mary and Ian in Glamour was on about the Woody's ad it says yeah absolutely love the Woody's ad when you see the group of young lads gathered together you assume they're up to no good so well done to Woody's because they're highlighting a good deed but also highlighting how great young people are and we often get a lot of negative publicity around young people but there's really good young people out there uh, as well 1850 Uh, that's where I leave you for today and indeed for this week my thanks to Sadie and to John Paul for taking your calls Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon we're back with you Monday morning at 10 and to them Patricia Messenger look after yourself and stay safe Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.